Welcome back. Another week, another dollar. This is Best Coast Football. I'm Cody Peterson. This is, and you've, I've got a special guest and a friend of the pod who's, who's been with us many weeks. Nate Salinas. Happy to be back. Happy to step in for, uh, <clears throat> for our friend uh, who's away this week. Tim, as we know, is off kind of getting oily with the professional wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah always so, uh, always happy to slide in when that happens tim was off um well he said he wasn't wasn't let go from the state for covid reasons he's he's changing jobs so he had a big vacation and then he's uh yes uh watching men beat each other senseless uh and jump around on the mat together um and then um he's actually starting a new job and so in the mix for that so i we expect him back next week. Our, our fearless leader. We're gonna we're gonna do our best to, you know, paper mache this sucker together in his absence. Um, and you know, speaking of wrestling, <clears throat> um, there were some um, pro wrestling style shenanigans in, in Pac-12 football this week. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, kind of felt like we were watching a circus at times. Um, let, let's maybe start by talking, Nate, about um, just you know. The, the games that happened last week. Do you want to start on Friday night with uh, what went on with UW and Arizona, or should we start somewhere else? No, I think I think we got to start quick. We got to. <laughs> I just want to start off by you know apologizing to our listeners that sat through all three and a half hours of that. <laughs> <laughs> Time you'll yeah. never get back. But let's talk yeah. about it for a few more minutes just to, re- to relive yeah, the tragedy. There's no Listerine for the eyes, right? You can't you can't cleanse that um man i I, that was the okay this this is my first four notes i have this was an ugly game that was my that was my five-word description i mean uh arizona comes in winless they've lost 19 in a row coming in and they're up 13 to nothing on the huskies at halftime Um, you also gotta mention because they're down to their third string quarterback at this point who it's very questionable whether he's even capable of completing a pass more than eight yards down the field. Yeah. Uh, I want to say I, I'm quite certain they threw less than hundred yards. It looks like. Um, yeah. 13 yeah, to six, 20 for 62 yards, two 62 picks. yards passing. Um, bizarrely, the Huskies, have, that's the third quarterback the Huskies have held for under hundred yards passing. I think that says more about the opposition than about the Husky secondary, but um yeah so will Plummer, very limited tools in the tool bag if you will um i think it also says something i i think you gotta give the huskies credit they really have good cornerbacks but yes. at the same time having good cornerbacks i think they have a really poor rushing defense and so i think a lot of teams are like why would we risk throwing on these nfl corners when we can get six yards to carry you know yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, Arizona got 218 yards rushing, and I mean, it's not that's not, not something they've shown. You know, not, it's not like that's been their strength necessarily throughout the season, but against the Huskies, clearly they were. I mean, and these were not tough yards. I mean, they were especially in the first half. I think I think that's part of what changed in the second half is the Huskies. You know, managed to get their run fits a little bit tightened up, um, forced forced Arizona to actually throw the ball a little bit. And, you know, um, as we'll talk about, the wheels kind of fell off. The final score wound up being UW 21, Arizona 16. So 
you know, Arizona up 13 to nothing at the half. Uh, and then um, like, like teams that have, you know, 18, 19 game losing streaks do, they kind of found some ways to lose. I mean, obviously the most momentous uh, play in this game uh, mid third quarter Huskies have scored a touchdown. It's 16 to seven. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, uh, early fourth quarter early fourth. Yeah. This was the watershed moment for sure. Go ahead. Right. So, uh, well, I'd like you to tell it so that I don't have to say the defensive lineman's name. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> honestly, Tuli Gasanoa. Yeah. Uh, just one of those moments that just kind of leaves you aghast. It's first down, I believe first and 10, Plummer just kind of, I think, panics and just throws it direct, directly yeah. to Julie and completely changed the game. I mean, it's a screenplay, but, uh, you know, he clearly, you know, did not have his eyes locked, you know, was not making eye contact with the back. I mean, you can't throw it into the chest of a defensive lineman and, like, you know, clearly, yeah, panicked, tried to force it. Uh, a defensive lineman gobbles it up. Uh, Husky score uh, four plays later, you know, and so it goes from 16 7 to 16 14. And you kind of think, okay, like Arizona's still leading this game, but there's no way they win this game, is kind of the way it felt at that moment. Like it was just such a huge swing. Um, you know, the Huskies had scored a touchdown, but it's not like they were, I mean, they scored one touchdown in you know 16 minutes to play. It was Arizona was still very much felt in control and then it just like it's like a house of cards just crumbled after that and i think you got to give morris and bynum a little bit of credit after this happened i mean the offense had just looked completely anemic and then those two came alive i think they connected on two 50 plus yard pass plays after that point leading to both yeah, touchdowns so yeah terrell bynum was like the guy that kind of gave life and a spark to the offense um, you know, finished with five catches for 143 and one touchdown. Um, I mean, Dylan Morris, if you look at his stats, it doesn't actually look nearly, it looks a lot better than it was like, you know, especially in the first half, it was, um, I mean, it's just horrendous offensive football. I mean, I think you pin a lot of that on the coordinator, but, um, man, once again, the Huskies, I mean, you know, 21 points is not a lot of points in college football. I mean, they just barely scrape by. Um, and they've, they've got, you know, they've got a tough, you know, remaining schedule when you look at the games they have left. I mean, this, this is one of the few gimmies they had, they, you know, they have remaining. And so they're going to need to be, score a lot more points than this to, to win games going forward. And I just, I just don't see how they're going to do it. This is kind of who they are at this point. They just don't run the ball very well either. I mean, McGrew, 17 carries for 43 yards. Pleasant, seven carries for 30 yards. That's that's not what you want to see against Arizona. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was we were texting, like, after the game. And, I mean, even, you know, even after the Huskies scored their third touchdown, they go up 21-16. You know, Ari, um, you know Arizona theoretically – um, had well, okay. So I should I should clarify. Like Arizona's trying to get a stop. Uh, there's two and a half minutes left. Um, they called the timeout to stop the clock. 
It's third and three. T this is a full TV timeout. We come back. Arizona lines up and they get flagged for 12 men on the field. Like that is as self-destructive as it gets coming out of a timeout to put 12 defenders on the field. Literally give one guy running on as the snap happens. Like how does yeah, it happen? Yeah. Give, give the Huskies an automatic first down bleeds in that, you know, who knows, maybe the Huskies get that first down, but you gave, you handed them the first down. The Huskies bleed another two minutes off the clock before they have to punt. Um, just kind of those, you know, self-destructive moments and then i was i was joking with you like you know we talked about will Plummer does not have you know the jay cutler 70 yard you know hail mary arm he's he needs to be past the 50 to get this sucker into the end zone for a hail mary um arizona actually did kind of set the ball up well they they got all, all the way up to their own 40 but they still needed another 10 yards or so and with 12 seconds left, they ran two out, out routes to the sideline, um, hit BJ Castile in the hands slash numbers twice, where all he had to do was catch the ball and step out of bounds. And, you know, clock would have stopped. He dropped them both. You know, I mean, it's just very routine plays, not tight coverage. And so, and, you know, then you know, Arizona did try a, a Hail Mary on the final play and the, the throw landed at like the 15 yard line. It's like, well, we, we didn't even have a chance because we didn't even make you know, a routine catch on the sideline to set ourselves up. So, I mean, if, you know, I was actually college football is like, you know, maybe at least a third of the time, one of the teams loses the game more than the other team wins it. I mean, you know, it's such a, you know, they're not professionals and all kinds of crazy mistakes happen. I, you know, give you the credit for hanging in and, and doing what it took to score in the second half. But I mean, this, this definitely felt like a game Arizona lost. I'm, I'll be curious, you know, as we transition away from this one, I want to get a, get ahead of the game as we talk about hot seat later. I want to, I'll be curious to see where, what you have to say about these two coaches, you know, in this perspective thing as, as we go along. I don't want to get into that now, but sure. that, was one, that was one of the, I think the interesting aspect com, coming out of this game. So, all right, well, let's, let's, uh, let's stop being negative Nancy's. Let's move on to Saturday. Um, what I thought was a phenomenal game. Uh, I, you know, I, for the UW game, I said this was an ugly game. Um, my my sentence for my byline for the Oregon UCLA game is this was a wild ass crazy game. <laughs> and it was, I mean, um, you know, I think if you are an NFL lover and purist, this is like a, a maddening type game because there's just there's like Keystone Cops level of insanity happening throughout. But if you love college football like I do, this is like had, you know, almost everything you want. It was maybe a little sloppier than you like, but this was a, um, a crazy game to watch as a fan. What, what, did, what, what did you see and what, what was your experience? Yeah, just huge momentum shifts. I mean, I think you could see the game day was on campus, so there was a lot of energy. Yeah. UCLA came out like that was the case. You know, like they were having this, you know, game day for the first time in a while scored on their it, opening it, drive it looked like they'd been a while since they had game day because the signs were not funny or good i thought <laughs> it was the, the signs were really like weak yeah, it's like act but like you've been there me. before and they're like we hadn't been there before so <laughs> <laughs> no yeah so you see a like phenomenal opening drive oregon is just stale both def defense and offense coming out um then there, then there's a, a blocked punt oregon's i think second drive is a third drive is a blocked punt UCLA 
pours another one in and they're quickly up 14 to zero. It looks like it could be a runaway. That's where I give Oregon a lot of credit. They hung in there. Mario Cristobal, one of his famous sayings, he said on the kind of the, on the pregame to game days to just keep punching. That's what he tells the guys, just keep punching, keep plugging, keep punching. And they did. They hung in there, kept going. You got to remember last week, it's a team that got booed at home on offense, particularly the quarterback. And they just, they kept plugging. And then all of a sudden in the second and the third quarter, this looked like the team that we talked about maybe being a college football playoff team coming out of the Ohio state game. It's like, Oh, here they are. Right. Yeah. They, they won the next, what was it? It was then, was it 30 went from, went from 14 to nothing to 34, 17 Oregon. So they, so, they outscored UCLA 34 to three in the second and third quarter. Third quarters. Yeah, exactly. Is what I'm saying. So it just housed them in their own building in that moment. We're great on offense, defense, and special teams, all three segments of the game. And then, all of a sudden, just super crisp, right? Like, I mean, they, I mean, yeah. the offense was just like bang, 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 bang. Like defense, just, three and outs. Like, you know, just yeah. everything. I mean, you can't get ahead 34 3 on a good team in two quarters without playing. And great, we'll talk right? about it probably, but I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau was the best player on the field. I mean, he was just a madman out there. <laughs> I think Oregon did a good job of moving the scheme such that UCLA could not easily put two people on him without disguising what they were doing, you know? And so, yeah, he said that after the game as much with uh, some colorful language, he said it was a, a great bleeping scheme. <laughs> if you heard that <laughs> live on ABC after the game. Oh, um, good. I, I missed that. Yeah. But, so but, he uh, dropped an F bomb on live TV. Nice. Holly Rowe played right through it to her credit. <laughs> Consummate pro <laughs> moving on. No, but then, yeah, then you get to fourth quarter, and and I think uh, Brown showed you why the fans would like to see the backup again. And just two just inexplicable interceptions and a fumble from Hudson. And you take those three turnovers, and all of a sudden UCLA is like right back in the game. You know, a lot yeah, of I mean, converted third and fourth down. Especially, you know – Maybe it wasn't a horrible decision. Maybe it was just a horrible throw, or maybe it was both. But you know, his his second interception, right? There, it's a not a, just a red zone interception, but he, an interception in the end zone, where he kind of goes for the corner, uh, like the corner of the end zone, and gets picked off. I mean, just that situation. I think at the time they're up, uh, they're up ten. I want to say at the time. Um, no, they, they were no. That was only up three. Oh, that, was, I'm sorry. that was before only, the last drive only up three um but, but you know just that's just like you know fourth quarter into the game scenario like the last thing you do is turn the ball over at a minimum you like you know you settle for the few, you know obviously you don't want a field goal but um you know if you're not sure throw the ball away you know live to play another play um well, and the thing is that th this drive had started all the way back in their own territory. And, you know, the, the old adage, like, take what the defense gives you. They had been able to run or do literally short throws that were no more than two yeah. or three yards past the line of scrimmage to get the ball. This wasn't hero you know, ball. No, they were, they were moving it without having to do something like this. All of a sudden, you're in second and six, so you're, you're still on schedule, if you know. And you just throw a 50-50 ball in the end zone. It's just it's inexplicable decision-making, to be honest with you. Pretty, pretty. I mean, would you say that feels uncharacteristic? I, I feel like, you know, for me watching him, like it's been more 
like like he's like he's they've got him on a sh- short leash and or he's not willing to willing or able to make those like deep throws or or you know you know other than the Ohio State game I feel like he's been kind of like pretty limited and it's, it's almost seemed out of character for him to be taking those kind of chances am I am I is that wrong have you has, yeah. has he kind of been kind of iffy yeah. decision making all year well kind of honestly I think against uh, Stanford there was certainly some some plays where he kept where he should have pitched so it's not just in, in passing I think just sometimes in the moment but you said this is college football you don't you don't expect perfection it's just yeah it's been hit and miss with him you know there's times in the second and third quarter of this game it was like oh wow he he borderline looked like an NFL player he was throwing into tight gaps he threw he, for 300 yards right yeah he played almost really well for those two quarters he didn't miss almost any plays you know and then you get to the fourth quarter and all of a sudden it's just like the, the wheels just come off. So I don't know if the moment's too big or if it's random or, or what it is. Yeah. Uh, I think you got to give UCLA credit. I think DTR, y- y- you talk about him a lot, the DTR experience, you get the highs, you get the lows, <laughs> but he keeps fighting. He's tough. He must've gotten hit 10 plus times. Yeah. This game. He was Hard. under siege and they still, you know, managed to get 31 points. Like we said, they were down 34 17. Um, they, you know, get a couple touchdowns to bring it within three, uh, three points, get that final pick with three minutes left. And it's like, okay, like this feels like UCLA, you know, at least is going to tie it up here. But then the one man wrecking crew knocks the stuffing out of DTR, you know, maybe gives them the one, you know, I don't know if it was a straw that broke the quarterback's back or what, but um, you know, it's still kind of unclear, I think, whether it's a shoulder or a rib or what, but not is he to, out? I, know, I haven't heard. Is he is he intended to expect to back or uh, I'm not sure if he's gonna go this week. I I think he will, but I'm not sure. Um, but he was knocked give... was knocked out of the game. Mm-hmm. Ethan Garbers comes in and just a couple plays later throws throws an interception for uh, allow the, allows the ducks to seal the win. So yeah, I think you got to give Oregon's uh, rushing defense a lot of credit. Uh, for sure, you know, forty-five attempts for one hundred and ten yards. Even if you take away the the one big loss, they they really ran for one hundred and twenty-one on forty-four attempts. Yeah, I mean UCLA. I would argue UCLA has one of the three or four best offensive lines in the conference. I've, at least at least running, you know, for the running game and, and a couple of really good backs with Britton Brown and, and sh- it I, I, cr- I corrected Tim last week I said I think it's Charbonnet but then I, I heard the guy saying Charbonnet on on the weekend so I think I was wrong I think it's Charbonnet I think he's a he's a Bayou kid I think it's Charbonnet <laughs> <laughs> I saw we got Thibodeau and Charbonnet stuff. out there yeah um but yeah I mean definitely contained them and and um you know took took away UCLA's bread and butter and made it, made it tough. Now to your, to your point, I think DTR did a good job of, um, you know, taking over when he had to and, and getting, getting, you know, keeping their offense moving or at least in the fourth quarter, got it, got it going again enough to make it a game. Uh, other, a couple other oddities here. Okay. So like I said, this is a crazy game. There were 17 total penalties between the teams. 
there were six total turnovers between the teams. And you had a player, Travis Dye, who I believe only carried the ball, only got 35 rushing yards, but he scored touchdowns, four touchdowns on four consecutive carries over the course of a couple quarters. That's, that's just an absurd thing to happen in the game. But. Yeah, there really was a lot of oddities to this. Two, I mean, two blocked punts. Did you, did yeah. you say that? I mean, it was <laughs> bizarre. A lot of like, there was multiple targeting calls that were all undone. It's like, oh, targeting. Oh, not targeting. You know, <laughs> like, so. Just kidding, play ball. Exactly. It was, this This one had a little bit of everything. And it was a long game, other, four hours me, probably. Like yikes. All the reviews, everything. Like The, the stand, other than the stand that I want to mention, I think, I feel like Devin Williams had one of his best games for the Ducks. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a really talented guy. Uh, went to SC, transferred to Oregon, has the physical tools, five catches for 80 yards. I mean, I feel like that's one of his better games. I feel like he's one of those guys that you always feel like should be, you know, you, once, you know, you see him in the open field and how fast he is. And you're just like, holy smokes, how's this guy not producing more? But had a, had a really solid game. Uh, hope, hopefully for him, that's maybe, maybe he can, can continue to produce that. And to your point, even as the X's and O's goes, I think probably even bigger than the numbers show because two of those catches were like downfield jump ball type balls. And I think adding that element to the Oregon offense, you know, that six, five guy, they can go up and get it. It changed the way that UCLA had to defend them. And it, mm. it created more space for different bubble screens and things that had otherwise kind of been more hemmed up, I think in previous yeah. games. So his presence, I think literally changed the way the team was defended. So, I mean, my only other impression from this game and just rewatching the highlights, you know, I think a couple of times was just the overall speed on the field was just, you know, I'm not going to say it looked like an elite, you know, two elite SEC teams going at it, but in a way it did just in terms of the, over, maybe not in every element, maybe probably not the size on the lines and the overall physicality or something, but just the speed on both sides for both teams, it, you know, there was a lot of like bang, bang plays and just like, great athletes making plays obviously it was it was sloppy at times but um you know you know when anthony brown's running full speed or when Kayvon's you know rushing the quarterback or you know dtr is a really phenomenal athlete as well they were just it was just uh um i think two of the more physically gifted teams in the conference playing ball so it's pretty fun to watch a super underrated player i want to point out um he was my you know, offensive player of the week a few weeks back when, when Tim and I had the chance to do this together, Kyle Phillips just seems to show yeah. up every single week and make big, whether it's getting a first down catch on fourth down or a big block here or there, he, you rarely see him out of position or making mistakes. Like, I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw like, Oh, he made a, made a big mistake there. Screwed up. Like just, yeah, he might not, might not be an NFL player. I don't know about size and speed, but really mm -hmm. great college football player. Nice. All right. Should we move on from this gush fest and talk about some other other games that weren't so pretty? Let's do it. All right. Uh, I, next one I've got up is the USC Notre Dame game. Okay. I'm gonna. I don't have a lot to say here. I think it feels like it's more of the same. I mean, Drake London is a phenomenal wide receiver, and there's not a lot of other phenomenons on that offense. Um, USC's defense is just a bit undermanned, and don't they don't seem to be. Poor, a very well coached. Um, I mean, Notre Dame, you know, they just, they look kind of to me like a solidly coached, but you know, not physically elite 
plodding Midwest Big Ten type team. And, you know, you just have, you know, Kyron Williams is a pretty special back for them, but, you know, he's just, he's running a stretched play and you're just watching, you know, USC linebackers take awful angles and get out, run to the edge, get beat to the edge uh, and, and, and miss tackles. And, you know, maybe he's just a, a more special back than I give him credit for, but I just, um, it was really frustrating to watch because this, I, I know what Notre Dame has done, you know, leading up to this game, they're not an elite offensive team and to watch them just dink and dunk and just pound the rock with like very low risk offense and just march down the field against USC. It was just like, once again, it just felt really early. Like, I don't see how we win this game. You know, I just, it was like within the first quarter and a half, I already lost hope. And that wasn't just the scoreboard. Well, I mean, you know, it's like, you don't want to be negative, but also a couple of weeks back, we said when, when darts ready, it's, I think it's, I think it's dart season in LA. It's just slow. like makes some plays and always comes out with the yards. But I want to ask you as a USC fan, Obviously, the offensive line is is maybe it's not what you'd hope for. It's not great, if you will. But would you, would you? How much of the issue do you think is the O line versus Slovis just holds the ball too long? Very if, much the latter, uh, at, especially in this game. Um, fumbles and and takes fumble, hits. Uh, Terrible you know, interception in the first quarter. Sprinting, that, sprinting left has no chance about running the defender and instead of throwing it, oh, just like throwing it out of bounds, holds onto it as if he's going to make some play, as if he's like Sam Darnold or some other more fleet of foot quarterback. And instead, to your point, takes hits he shouldn't, uh, risks fumbling uh, more frequently than he should, should have a better pocket presence, feel the pocket collapsing and, and just throw the ball away and doesn't. Um, this was the game where that felt the most glaring. I feel like, you know, at times he can, he's had okay pocket presence, but I, it's certainly not an area where he's gotten better over the last you know two seasons. Um, so, I mean, you, you got to point, point to coaching there. Um, you know, I just, I, I wrote wild with the football. I mean, when he was getting chased out of the pocket, it just felt nothing's good going to come from this. The best we can hope for is, <laughs> Uh, you know, a non-turnover at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think the, the USC offensive line was far from dominant. He's a really good quarterback when he's well protected. Um, and I think he was actually, I, I think Notre Dame was rushing three a lot and he, there were times where he had a lot of time and made a lot of, th- you know, Drake London had a monster game, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, they were down 24 to three to start the fourth quarter. Well, walk um, me, I want to quick before you fast forward that quick walk, walk me through what happened at the, at the end of the half. Um, I mean, just horrific clock management. Um, they just literally yeah. like ran the clock out in field goal range. No, I mean, it was, it's, um, I, I can't even explain it, you know, other than you can say, well, it's an interim head coach and, but you have an experienced offensive coordinator like that. You really shouldn't have very little to do with the head coach. Um, and, you know, you've got a third year quarterback and, you know, in his second year under, under Graham Harrell. Um, 
I mean, and, and not only that, but they were, yeah, to your point, running the ball. <laughs> like running draw plays, like you're not going to get 26-yard draw plays. Like you guys need to move the ball. And then, yeah, uh, ran a play call that in my mind had zero chance of the play being over and having a chance to like line up and, you know, down the ball. I mean, it had no timeouts. So, yeah, inexplicable. Um, I, 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 I can't, I'm struggling to remember a, a moment when I've, I saw worse clock management. Now, I wound up not really mattering. I mean, um, you know three points wasn't going to make the difference in this game, but it, it was one of many really frustrating moments. I would say I, I'm just way more frustrated by the, by the really shoddy defense, but. And that's what, so I want to read this to you. This, this is what I found super interesting about this game is it feels like it just encapsulates maybe kind of USC in, in the last kind of few years. Cause if you didn't know, you'd think, oh, maybe Notre Dame really controlled or really dominated this game. But I mean, so let me read this to you, like first downs, 25 to 26. Okay. Like third down efficiency, you know, USC 50%, Notre Dame or six of 13, Notre Dame eight of 12, Notre Dame a little better, but total yards, USC 428, Notre Dame 383. Uh, Passing yards, 299 USC to 213 for Notre Dame. Uh, you know, yards, you know, yards per pass eight to seven, uh, you know, uh, yards per rush 3.9 to 4.1 penalties, nine for 65 to four for 40. And then just the turnovers two to one time of possession was basically 30 minutes each. The, 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 the columns make it look like it was an extremely even game. It's like this game was just won by the team that doesn't beat themselves more. Doesn't beat themselves um consistently gained at least four yards on first down so it doesn't get themselves off schedule mm. um yeah i mean you know there was there were so many drives where um all i did was run the ball and throw for no more than you know nine yard completions i mean they were not stretching the field they it, to my knowledge they had one you know, receiver that was consistently making plays on the edge. And otherwise, you know, they have a really good um, tight end um, mayor. Um, And then this guy styles had a few catches, but um, man, I mean, they, I think the longest long, yeah, they had a 29 yard completion, but I mean, this was not, this was not a team that can do a lot of things, but they just, you know, executed, didn't shoot themselves in the foot. Like you said, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. I'm not like so arrogant to say that you, you, USC at this time, like their roster is not as talented as people think it was, but, you know, it's not like they can just trot out there. And if they had proper scheme, they would just beat anyone on the, on their schedule. But man, the, the disparity and the like preparation is just so obvious um, in so many ways. But that makes it hopeful, I think. You look, you know you're going to have a new head coach next season, and you look and you say, okay, the guy's there, the, the, the potential's there. Like you said, even not well-prepared, they filled out the stat sheet on a Notre Dame team. So it's hopeful. You get someone in there who can get them well-prepared. This is a game that they can win next year. Yeah, I think long-term, I, you know, I, I, think, I think the offensive line actually has out- exceeded my expectations this year. 
um, because they were so bad last year and they've actually run the ball modestly well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Keaton Slovis has not been running for his life necessarily. Um, but I, I do think, you know, your offensive and defensive lines are, are really where if you, if you want to actually compete for championships, that's, that's where you're going to, uh, that's what separates uh, a team like Arizona, for example, from other teams. This is just like used to being able to line up and, and pound the ball and protect your quarterback and get after the other opposing team's quarterback. And I, I'm not sure that USC has the bodies on the roster to do that next year. Um, I think the, maybe on the offensive line, those guys are pretty young, but I think it could be a pretty big, rebuild on in the front seven defensively i think that could be a a two to three year project for the incoming head coach yep true but all right we've got a few more games anything else on sc notre dame there's always the portal right and he's in this day that's right that's right Um, nothing more on that one okay uh uh maybe we'll talk about uh cal colorado um you know I don't, I don't have a ton of notes. I think this is the outcome we would have both expected. Maybe not this, necessarily this margin. Uh, Cal was in control from start to finish. Um, I think I want to say it was 23 to three at halftime. So like the second half was an absolute yawn fest. Um, you know, biggest thing, you know, story out of this game, Chase Garbers became the all-time rushing leader for quarterbacks at Cal with over a thousand yards rushing. I mean, I, Wow. He doesn't do it in big chunks, but, um, you know, he, he did have one really long run this game. I think he had a 30 plus yard run, but, um, you know, good for him. He's been kind of a, a workman like quarterback has had, um, you know, some rough games. I think he, you know, obviously the Oregon game recently was, a, a dis, you know, he played well and just came up a little short and maybe showed some of it would have always been his limitations, but it's nice, nice thing for him to, as he's, you know, headed towards the latter part of his career there. Yeah. It didn't require clutch moments, but this, this was the best I'd ever seen him. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, Colorado, 104 yards of total offense. The only reason they scored, I don't know if you saw, they got a 70 yard kick return. And if it wasn't, (laughs) if it wasn't, they kicked a field goal. Yeah. I think the kick return was down to the, was it like the 21? So they were basically at a 38 yard field goal when the possession started. I mean, like, how do you have an offense? And, and how did I, I now I, it's just my biggest takeaway is how the heck did they whoop Arizona so badly? I mean, Arizona, like at least, you know, they've got, um, you know, Barry Hill and Castillo, they've got some playmakers on, you know, at the skill positions. Like, I, it baffles me that they just could explode on Arizona, but then can't even, you know, barely crack triple digits, you know, on offense in terms of yardage. I, I baffles me, but I guess it's, it's every week's different and you different matchups and stuff. I don't think there's much more to say about this one. Okay. Cal, Cal took advantage of the opportunity that Colorado <laughs> dropped in their lap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, success is uh Preparation plus opportunity, right? Okay. A lot of opportunity there. A lot of opportunity for Cal. Uh, one more non-conference game. Uh, you know, BYU 21, 
WSU 19. Uh, the Cougs were on a three-game win streak. Um, on a had a one of the most you know bizarre weeks of you know any college football teams probably ever had uh, with Rolovich being replaced. Um, BYU Cougars, on the other hand, were on a two-game losing streak. Um, this was that in Pullman. <sighs> you know, felt like, you know, emotionally maybe the Cougs would be pretty fired up and, and you know, ready to, you know, rallying together. Um, they scored right away, start the game, and then just, man, uh, really struggled to move the ball. I would say they moved the ball, but really struggled to complete drives. Uh, or bring bring drives to fruition, if you will, um, the rest of the way. So, uh, you know, they, um, you know, final score was was the way it was because they their holder on their second touchdown, the the placeholder muffed the ball, you know, then awkwardly picked it up and tried to throw it, and that you know, so failed failed field goal, and then they had to go for two. Uh, as they, you know, they tied it up. They, they had the chance to tie it up late. Um, Borgie got his third touchdown of the night uh, and failed two-point conversion. So that wound up being – and then Cougs were unable to get a stop um, to, um, you know, try to get the ball back. I think they had uh, – I think they had at least four minutes left but they just could not uh, get a stop. Uh, BYU just literally ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball, and ran the clock out. So Just Algier was just a little too much. It seemed like they were to kind of push him off. I thought this was a weird game in that both teams started off hot on offense, had really nice opening drives to score a touchdown. You thought, oh, this is going to be kind of a – like a high scoring, really kind of uh, high level offensive game. Back and forth game. Yeah. And then just nothing, seven, seven and a half. And then both teams come right out of the, almost like being able to script the offensive series to start the game and then to open the half <laughs> really made them look good. Outside yeah. of that, they were doing, like, they were doing walkthroughs in the tunnel and yeah. you know, just visualize their success. Very, very little kind of offensive execution outside of the, the opening of each each half um yeah you mentioned algier 190 yards and two touchdowns so he was just a beast from start to finish i thought borgie had a nice game you, you've talked about borgie on the pod in, in the past i thought he was effective you know yeah he said uh so he you know really quiet uh first half of the season he's he's got five touchdowns the last two weeks uh, with three this past week so um yeah 80, 83 yards you know he's not He's not going to be a 30 carry guy, but um, I, I've, I've always thought of him as kind of the engine of their offense. It hasn't always been that this year. Um, Jaden Delora made some big plays, um, but, you know, he's, he's a bit of a gunslinger. He, he threw a, a pick in the end zone, which is, you know, we talked about with Anthony Brown. It's never acceptable from a, for a quarterback. Um, you know, they had a couple holding penalties that really killed drives. Um, I've got, I've got a goat of the week to mention in that regard later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, they really, you know, and I think both teams were, I don't know if they were intentionally trying to, you know, if you look at this, like the, the, the drive drive by drive summary of this game, 
you know, these were clock bleeding drives. There were, you know, they did not, neither team had a ton of chances. Um, and so, you know, with the Cougs having uh, multiple drives that got stalled out on holding calls, it just kind of, you know, killed the opportunities in the second half. To, you have to, to clarify which Cougars you mean. <laughs> I will, uh, I will name them during our uh, weekly awards. No, did you hear? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, the the, the Washington State Cougars. Yes, I figured you meant that, but I just yeah. To clarify, we had the so I mean, Cougs there. Tough, tough outcome. You would have you would have hoped you know uh, for uh, Mr. Dickert to have a better debut as the interim head coach. Um, I, give him credit, I, I though, still think held the guys together, you know, didn't, it didn't I, implode against a decent team. So I, I think WSU came out and I mean, BYU's uh, they now moved to four and in Pac 12 play. <laughs> <That's right>. uh, <laughs> and get... unfortunately, their only remaining Pac 12 game is against the USC Trojans. So trying to not, not trying to get to San Jose, <laughs> they might win the South of uh, Vegas, oh, Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. Sorry, trying to get to Vegas. To... <laughs> um, but uh, man, you know, t- tough loss you know i feel like i feel like the kooks um they've had a much nicer season than i would have envisioned this is a game they would have loved to have had and especially as they try to get to bowl eligibility um you know and i think you i, I kind of wonder obviously you know they they were only without their coach for four or five days right and and those you know head coach and several of those staff in my mind, I'm not pretending to be an expert, but I, I could see it being harder and harder to keep this machine together over the next over the coming weeks, right? As as kind of the 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 structure and you know the kind of CEO presence that you need from a head coach, you know, and, and the message and you know. Well, just, you you made the point earlier that they they didn't just lose Rolovich; they lost four assistants too right yes five coaches offensive line defensive tackles cornerbacks quarterbacks i mean yeah Um, this is not a plug and play offense you know he runs the true run and shoot there's really only about three or four guys in the game right now at the head coaching level that that know and understand run and shoot as Rolovich was was trying to do it now every you know everybody has some version of a spread or something but the run and shoot that Rolovich is doing is, is not, it's not a uh, ubiquitous thing right now. So it's not like they can just pull somebody in to like keep the, keep the train going. I've read a couple things about this. Uh, One of their position coaches was a recruiting assistant a week ago. So, you know, now, now you got a guy leading, you know, in, in, uh, in a position group meeting who's never done this before. And, you know, and the guys know it, right. Uh, they did have a couple guys who were, uh, uh, who had worked under Rolovich or adjacent to Rolovich before. And they kind of had them hovering around the program the last few weeks. Um, I, I forget the names, but basically some guys that were familiar with the run and shoot and, but the, they were not allowed to interact with the team. Right. There's strict rules about how many staff members you can have. Right. So these guys have been like practice observers and now they're assistant, assistant coaches. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, Interesting I mean, yeah they did moving forward. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think, you know, one, one week, I think, I think you hold it together. I just, I, I struggle to see how they, 
maintain the same quality of play. But you know, I I, I hope the hope for the best. Yep. Uh, especially for those those seniors. Yep. Um. All right. Last game of the week: Oregon State, forty-two; Utah, thirty-four. I think. I would say if if in my mind the the Oregon UCLA game was maybe the best game of the weekend. This this game comes in second. I think these are two really solid teams that know who they are and know what they want to do. Um, maybe it was a better played game, uh, less sloppy game, uh, but maybe also you know a little more uh, vanilla ground and pound. Uh, but but had some weirdness. Had plenty of weirdness and um, multiple lead changes, a block punt. Um, and, and multiple, I think there were three, uh, fourth down stops in this game. So still lots of big plays. Um, and, and very, like the other game we talked about, uh, was back and forth. Oregon state was down 14 to nothing early, uh, down 10 at the half, but they just, they came out after halftime and just could not be stopped. Um, you know, scored two consecutive touchdowns, then blocked the punt and scooped and scored that then then scored again. I mean, they just, uh, you know, they scored every opportunity they had, they had in the second half, basically. Yeah. I mean, you just got to give a ton of credit to Jonathan Smith. I mean, there's like, it, it, it's not like they're playing with NFL talent all over the place in this offensive. This is a, this is a system that just works really well right now. And yeah, it's just really plugging along in the second half their offense looked just really good and you know utah's defense is not like bad and they made they made utah's defense look really pedestrian and, yeah um yeah so i would have i would have asserted that utah had one of the three best defenses in the conference and they put up 42 and it wasn't i mean they scored a, a special teams touchdown but this is not a fluky uh compilation of points i mean they they were just doing doing what they wanted to do right not big fluky plays just getting six seven eight at a time just moving it along chance Nolan um has had a couple really shaky starts uh for the beeves and bounced back super efficient made some good throws when he had to through you know through uh i saw him at least one memorable uh touchdown throw he had BJ Baylor's just a beast. 19 carries for 152 and a touchdown. Um, Oregon State did lose a fumble and they had quite a few penalties. But I mean, so when you see that, you kind of think, man, how did Utah uh, fall in this game? But Oregon State was just, like you said, making, I don't know if you call it big plays, but just making play after play after play. Um, and um, I, I think for, for Utah, you know, the, the Cam Rising experience is, um, you know, some super hot moments or, or quarters or halves, but not necessarily other than against USC when he was basically hot from start to finish. I, I, you know, that's maybe the only game where I feel like he's been played at a high level for four straight quarters. Um, you know, he... Um, they got, got stuffed on a on a fourth and goal from the two, um, and missed a field you know, goal. He, yeah, missed a field goal, um, and just, um, you know, I, I just don't think he's you know he's not going to be a guy that will pick you apart uh, throwing the ball. So, 
thought there were some interesting choices in this game. Utah, with about 250 left in the game, maybe, kicked a field goal on fourth and three from the 15. I realized they, they were down 11, so conceivably you needed that. Yeah, I think I, they were. I think it was like a. It was going to be a fourth and long situation. I think, and and I basically they decided to try to make it a one score game instead of risking coming away with nothing. It was fourth and three. Fourth and three. Okay. Which that, that, that's why that's why it kind of surprised me. And Rising had just made a a pass to get it from third and long to fourth and three. So he just okay, came that, off a completion. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I that. Just, I, I get the math, but it did surprise me. I would think you go there, you try and get the touchdown, you try and get the two, and then you're only a field goal down in a, in a late game type situation, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but you know, they were going to need some help anyways. I think they were, they'd already used a timeout or two or something. So like it, you know, it was, it was not going to be easy either way. So. Yep. Um, and you know, like you said, they, they did make that field goal and, and then were able, uh, but they couldn't get, couldn't get the stop against Oregon State. Oregon State was able to run off the final two and a half there. I think they did try uh, the onside too, right? It wasn't very good, but yeah, they did try the onside kick. But. Um, I mean, big win for Oregon State. I mean, they they're you know they're right on track to be. Uh, th- does the game formerly known as the Civil War have a different name now, or is it just nameless? So. It's like the Washington football team. We're gonna I think it's, it's the, the, or, the state of Oregon rivalry game is what exactly. it is. <laughs> I was kind of surprised to see the Beavers aren't ranked this this week. Coming out of, I I thought that win might might get them you know at the edge of that top twenty five. I think that kind of speaks to the disrespect of the Pac twelve. I right think now. maybe the voters are just tired of putting a Pac twelve team up there only to have to <laughs> knock them off the next week. <laughs> I mean, how many, you know, I. Brett kind of being a smart aleck, but I mean, how many teams have been on the, in the rankings and then knocked out Utah's been in and out. SC's been in and out. Washington's been in and out. Oregon state's been in and out. Um, maybe there's just some PAC 12 fatigue with, uh, yeah, not, not you trusting just, them, not trusting them to stay in there for the following week. Well, like, but, it's interesting. yeah, I think, like, I think like, Oregon state, you know, they're, when 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 next week and and they certainly deserve to be um well i think it's interesting to put it this way in the top 25 byu is currently 25 and they're also six and two and they're really only good wins have come against the pac-12 so (laughs) it's funny that you take the team that's feasting on the pac-12 over the pac-12 team that's doing themselves that's that's okay so Tell you what, go, go, you know, Oregon State, go beat Cal on the road uh, this coming week, and then we'll, we'll talk again. Probably get it. Okay. Okay. So we've been through the games. Uh, maybe you, you, you alluded to the hot seat. Um, you know, the list gets shorter the more coaches get fired, right? You've, we've got, in my mind, there are several coaches that obviously, you know, crystal balls off limits. Uh, you know, I don't think I you. I don't know if this is what you were alluding to, but I don't think Jetfish. There's any chance they fire him this year. I mean, even 0 and 12, even as bad as they have looked at times, especially with you know having to go down to their third string quarterback. I think he. I think he deserves at least a chance. You know, another year 
to try to bring in a recruiting class and show and show some progress. So I'm not mentioning him. Um, you know, Jonathan Smith is, you know, clearly, you know, building something has a team that's on the rise. So there's lots of Whittingham and Shaw in my mind are untouchable as long mm-hmm. as they want to stay. So um, there's really only a couple of names to talk about here. And there's a, I, I think Justin Wilcox um, got the win this past week, but um, I think they're going to have to show something pretty special for, I, I don't know. I don't know what their AD thinks or what their expectations are as a program, but uh, or as an athletic department, but, you know, they have not been a, even a consistent bowl team. And this, this year, feels like a make or break and it doesn't seem like it's a it's a make so i probably have him on the top of the hot seat rankings but you know right on his heels is jimmy lake i think the only thing about jimmy lake is he's really only had you know he'll only have had a season and a half as the head coach i don't know um the ad seems pretty loyal uh and supportive it would it would kind of mildly surprise me, even as bad as things have been. Um, but man, they are I I at the same I say that at the same time, you know. Um, I don't think I've seen much in his tenure that leads me to think that the trajectory is upward. Put it that way. Well, and that's I, some of the things that you know. Let's say even if you didn't have the athletes, but it looked organized or it looked tight or if you're getting like break i don't think you can just straight up go like wins and losses i i think lake's seat is hot if anything right now just because it just looks so bad it doesn't look like he has a handle of it you know it, it doesn't seem like he's providing them an advantage in game off the field like recruiting like if, you, if i were to ask you like what you know, what does Jimmy like do well right now? Like where is he providing them the advantage? He coaches the secondary very well, <laughs> well but know, he did that like, as a secondary coach. Yeah. And no, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, there's teams that look like they're marching to the same drum and there's teams that don't. And especially on offense, this team is not, you know, there's still a, a pretty solid defensive team on the back end. You know, like you said, they're uh, they're for front seven, um, especially the D line is is not great this year. Um, but as, as a bit, I, the the problem is the offense. The offense is abysmal. That's his hire. He had a chance to make a hire, and he brought in Donovan, and it's it's it hasn't worked out. And that's what you so. wonder if is he going to have to let go there and get one more shot at that? That's what I would expect is that Donovan will be moved on and he'll get one more chance at that. And if that, if that hires a flop, it's, pro- it's probably a new regime. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think that's what happens. And I still don't think it's going to fix it, but I, I could be wrong. I'd happy to be wrong. Let me ask you about this one. What, what do you think about chip down in LA? I, I certainly think that UCLA fans probably think they expected or hoped to be in a better position at this point in the season. Um, I think that the, I think that their team, they're a better team this year. They're probably the best team he's fielded despite the lack of, 
uh, you know, maybe the wins and loss, the wins aren't there to show that. Um, but just optically to me, I feel like their quality of play has risen this year. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it has, but it's just, I think people are looking and they're saying that like the chip can coach some of the X's and O's, but that he just, he hasn't gotten the full roster all the way there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like through the whole, you know, two deep 44 guys, if you will, you run out there, but the roster is just not quite deep enough. There's some talent that he's pulled in the position, but like even some of their best talent is either like former walk-ons, you know, whether, you know, um, the tight end, big Greg or Greg, or, you know, transfer and, you know, Charbonnet. And, and so he's kind of piecemealing teams together. Yeah, this is I mean, year four so, of a five-year contract. So, I mean, it's, I think that – I think he's going to need to win some to finish the season. If this ends up like seven and five in a bowl loss, I, yeah. I, I think it might be a mutual parting of ways. I mean, the, the Fresno State game hurts. I mean, that was, that was a great game, tough loss at home. You know, they're five and three. You know, they win that game. They're six and two. Um, you know, with losses to, to ASU and Oregon, who are, you know, a couple of the better teams in the conference. I just think, man, that, that's, that's to me the difference between UCLA fans feeling actually, you know, maybe not ecstatic, but modestly satisfied about where they're at. And then you look forward, they've got Utah this week. So in, in my mind, you know, they're, you know, very much an uphill battle for to be in the mix in the South. But, um, you know, they beat, if they beat Utah, who's clearly, you know, can be beaten, um, you know, we'll talk about whether we think they'll do it uh, later, but then they've got Colorado. They've got SC, which I would argue, you know, Colorado obviously feels almost like a gimme. SC's winnable, especially if they just pound the ball. I don't, and then they got Cal. I, you know, I think, Worst case, I think I think the worst case scenario is what you just described as seven and five. And I think it could very easily um, not that eight and four is anything to like, you know, go outside and light off some firecrackers about, but that seems like probably the most likely scenario. And um, yeah, and then maybe we'll see what happens in the bowl game or whatever. But um, I think that's a solid season and enough. You know, but then, you know, DTR is gone and, you know, you got to start over at quarterback, which is the biggest position. So uh, I don't know, man, I, I hear you. I think I, one I think, saving grace he has is, you know, the Rose Bowl is typically difficult to fill. And he's had a couple games there. I think both LSU and Oregon, you know, obviously they, they drape off a portion of, but the portion that they don't drape off, they, they kind of filled, <laughs> they filled the place, if you will, for those two games. Yeah. It's not something UCLA can say. So if anything, that might that might help them out a little bit. So it's like when a uh, soccer, you know, soccer MLS teams, right? They just don't <laughs> let anyone up in the upper deck and they call it a sellout. Exactly. <clears throat> here's yeah, one more. Here's I mean, one more for you. How, how oh, go ahead. Sorry, you one more thing. Well, the only last thing on Chip, I think that probably UCLA fans are pretty frustrated about. He's uh, hasn't beat his former team yet. He's That's, I think zero and three against the Ducks at, and, at UCLA. And how, what, what, if, if he loses to SC this year, what would he be one and three against SC also? Or am I wrong? Yeah, I think that that sounds right. Yes. So, I mean, that would, that would, that would be a hard, 
hard record to sell if you're one and six against USC and Oregon if they lose that game at the end of the year. How about Carl Durrell? I don't know. I, I, that's a complete black box to me. Uh, Co- coach of the year <laughs> last year, you'd have to think that he has more time, but it's it's so bad right now. It's so bad. Yeah, I'd I'd maybe put him in the Jimmy Lake category where he's got a he's going to have to make a coordinator change. But um, yeah, uh, offensive coordinator. I mean, but yeah, it doesn't look good. You um, got a five year deal. He's only two years, two years into, so I'd have yeah. to think he's back for next year. But yeah, I'd be surprised. Be and that's not, you know, that's it's not. If you're the athletic director, you have to think about, you know, your image as a program. You have to think about the guy, the guys in the program that you're gonna, you know, completely, you know, toss out their coach and their system. And you know, you don't, you know, maybe this isn't really a consideration, but you also don't want to be as you're recruiting the next head coach, you don't want to be the school that, you know, throws guys to the curb after a season and a half, but you know, right. people don't want to really want to walk into that kind of a program either. Right. You become the New York jets. Yeah. But, you're right about that. Uh, and yeah. And that's, that's your boss, right? That's your new boss is the person that's willing to pull the ripcord on guys after a season and a half. Right. So, but the hard thing is, you know, like this isn't the same situation. You made the point about Arizona. That was a hard situation to walk into. I think everybody knew what sort of rebuild that was for Fish. It's not like Tucker, who you know jetted off for MSU after one year, he didn't leave a dumpster fire. Right. So, and yeah. they had a decent team last year. Darrell's taking them in the wrong direction. You know, so like. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I don't think the outlook is bright, but at the same time, um, yeah. To your point, it's got a five-year deal, and I'm not sure they have you know, buy out money flowing like flowing like wine out there. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Even though, even talk, though famously talk. that was the place where where, where beer flows like <laughs> the women walk like <laughs> the salmon of Capistrano. Yeah. Okay. Uh let's do conference awards and then uh our our last thing we're gonna do is just kind of talk about um you know playoff playoff outlook. Uh, offensive player of the week. I think maybe you mentioned someone earlier. Oh no, sorry. I'm, you mentioned someone from a previous week that you had talked about for offense. No, for offensive player of the week. I, I, of the was week. Gonna, I was going to give this to Garbers. You were. Maybe it's maybe it's a lifetime achievement award. You know, like a lifetime Oscar. Um, I, you know, there weren't a ton of huge standouts. I think maybe my. You know, I mentioned I had the four touchdowns, but he only ran for 35 yards. You know, and it wasn't like he was like owning the game. It was more like a fluky thing. Um, you know, Borgie had three touchdowns. So I, I didn't see like a, you know, a crazy dominant offensive performance. I don't want to mention Drake London again because I feel like I'm being SC honk. So what, who'd you have? I thought the best stat collector of the week was, was Drake London, to your point. He's a great player. But I gave the award to BJ Baylor, leaning that's fair a little bit that's away a- from the, the fantasy sports, like the touchdown. That I felt like he was the, the player of the week just in terms of controlling the offense, controlling the game, yeah. getting big first downs, kind of breaking Utah's back in that regard. Yeah. A true workhorse. Yep. So I, I leaned towards him as the, as the player of the week. A 19 I think carries for 152 yards. That's eight, that's eight a 
take you know on 20 carries. I think that's the absolute right call. Nice, nice choice. Big game. So I don't think so. I think we could just like just stop talking about defensive player of the week. It's Kayvon. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, Nine I, tackles, two sacks, four and a half, four and a half tackles for loss. And he knocks the opposing team's quarterback out of the game on the last drive. I wanted two teammates to share it. I gave it to, to, to Kayvon and then also DJ James, who had two interceptions, yeah. including the game ceiling one. I felt like he deserved at least a, a semi nod for the, for two interceptions and one of them being the game sealer. Couple couple honorable mentions. Uh, two player, two Pac-12 players have finished uh, the week with 16 tackles. Avery Roberts for Oregon State and Jihad Woods for Washington State. Wow, um, significant. And then uh, Elijah Hicks was kind of a stat stuffer game for Cal. Six tackles, a sack, two and a half tackles for loss, a pass defended, and an INT. He hit almost every column in the defensive stat, but <laughs> box score. <laughs> Uh, special teams player of the week. I'm, I'm going to say uh, Mr. Luke Musgrave for Oregon State. He's the guy that he blocked the punt, then he ran over and picked it up and scored a touchdown with it, which is pretty, uh, pretty pivotal play in, in the Oregon State Utah game. Do you have anybody else? He was the one I would have thought of also. Um, I saw Irby Martell was the guy who blocked the punt for UCLA against Oregon to get them up 14 0 early. It was a huge play to try and give them momentum if they could have held on, but um, obviously they didn't. So I think Musgrave has to get the award. But okay. yeah, two two block punts were probably the big the big plays, if you will, in the conference this week. Honorable mention: Dario Longhetto for Cal, their, their their kicker. He was four for four, including a long of fifty one. Yeah, that's good. Coach none of the of, week. None of those were pressure kicks, though. So I, I no. <laughs> uh maybe the first one yeah coach of the week uh i think mario big road win team played well yeah i kind of looked at the oregon duo this week i think you had to give it either to mario or to to jonathan smith there's something special about smith's offense right now that it's it's really clicking while other offenses are are struggling and again we point out the fact that I'm not trying to make them seem like a junior college, but they're, they're not doing this with NFL talent, you know? So there's something yeah. special about that, but yeah, I think you, you gotta give Mario credit. They got behind earlier and he, early and he got them to keep, keep slugging, but, but yeah, yeah I think whatever they did schematically to, uh, you know, contain UCLA's run game was obviously successful. Go to the week offensive lineman for Washington state, Liam Ryan had, Two holding penalties, which resulted in killing uh, key drives for the Cougs. Um, that's my that's my personal winner. Do you have anyone else to shame on this podcast? I just said anyone and everyone that's responsible for Colorado's passing game, <laughs> <laughs> the quarterback, the coordinator. I don't. I don't even receivers. I don't know who you want to talk. Some of the fans. There. Yeah. It's. I mean, there there were more important off. There were more potent passing attacks in the 1930s than in Colorado <laughs> football. I mean, it's just so before bad. the pass before the forward pass was invented. Yeah, just even thinking about the forward pass is better than this. <laughs> um, I mean, their run game is not good, but it's something at least. Their their passing is so bad you can you can literally you can man up press coverage, no safeties, and you are fine. Yeah, yeah, more abundant. Um, best moment of the week. I think I, I put Oregon state scoop and score. Um, you know, it was, 
uh, you know, they tra had trailed early. The game was back and forth after that, but um, gave the Beavs their first lead. And I just think like, you know, a, a big special teams play at home is pretty fun. The fans just go nuts. And you got anything else? You yeah, I mean, I, I, you don't want to be a homer on the pod, but I, the DJ James interception. K K oh, I was going to say oh, Kayvon's post-game interview. <laughs> well, that was that was good too. But no, I because, you know, the game was very much in doubt. You know, Garbers had come in, but you UCLA had gotten the ball down to maybe like the 40, you know, maybe only yep. what, like 10 yards away from a realistic game-tying kick. Still 40 yeah. seconds on the clock. So, you know, it's it's not like he just caught a Hail Mary. He, he made a great yeah. play that truly ended the game. So, yeah, big play for sure. Okay. All right. So the last thing I was hoping to do before we, you know, uh, pick the games for next week was just, you know, it really is. There's there's no other team in the Pac-12 that has any kind of playoff shot. It's, it's Oregon or nothing. What are we doing? NFL player of the week? Are we skipping that. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I missed that. You're I right. Curious, NFL I was player of the week. Who you had? Uh, I didn't have any like you know lights out strong convictions. Um, I'm gonna say Michael Pittman Jr., former USC wide receiver, uh, four catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. I think that was the Sunday night game. Yeah, it was. Um, so just you know national television, big game, and 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 played. He you know had some big monster catches, a really like a jump ball uh, way downfield that he. Uh, pulled down, which is kind of what he did when he was at SC. Game ceiling um, touchdown, too. Yeah. My runner-up was Aaron Rodgers, who got a good, but not a really solid, but typical Aaron Rodgers game. Uh, you wrote down the two guys I had there. It's nothing to add. Nice. Literally nothing to add. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry for uh, jumping the gun there. No, uh, it's okay. So talking about Oregon and the playoff, I, I what I thought maybe would be fun to do was, you know, we almost exclusively just talk Pac-12. Um, but there's, there's a whole world of college football out there. And I just, I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about who you think you're, you're, if you were, if it was a one man playoff committee and Nate Salinas was choosing, uh, four teams to be in the playoff today, who would, who would you choose one, two, three, four? Um, and, you know, depending on whether Oregon's in that or not in that, like we'll go from there and kind of talk about, you know, does Oregon have a chance to sneak into this playoff? Maybe not sneak, work its way into this playoff, be in this playoff at the end of the season. So um, do you want to give your thoughts on maybe, you know, either, you know, run through some of these top teams or get, just give your top four? Yeah, I mean, today I probably go with – there's so much left to play out. But if, if it's today, I probably sure. go with the undefeated teams. I probably go with Georgia, Oklahoma. Cincinnati and Michigan. Do I think those are the four best teams? No, but I, I honor the undefeated nature right now, if that makes sense. Um, I think you raise it. This is what I want to. So this is like, I guess the, the paradigm I want to set up and, and get your input on as it relates to not just the playoff, but also kind of college football as a whole and what we hope to see from matchup. So do I think Oregon is one of the best four teams and deserving based on the eye test of playoff? No. So but, that's, those are two different things. Yeah. The most deserving team is not necessarily the best team. Well, and that's, so that's why I'm setting up where I do think they're one of the most deserving teams. And I'll tell you why. And I'm actually going to lean out of the homerism. That's why I wanted to say that. I don't actually think they look that great. 
but I think that we almost have to put an undue um, level of, uh, of, you know, what's the word honor of, of, of accomplishment on the win at Ohio state, because if those games are not given almost like undue value, if you will, teams will stop playing them. Does that make sense? So it's like, if I'm signing up to go play at Ohio state and I get a win there, that has to have a ton of value to it. And if, cause if other teams look and say, Oh, Oregon ended with one loss in the Pac-12 didn't look great. They went and beat Ohio state. They're not in like, why would I go play? Why would I take the shot to go play a game like at Ohio state? If it doesn't come with a ton of extra additional right. respect, otherwise it, you just, you, you play four cupcakes and you're better off mathematically. And if I'm, I'm George Klyavkov, I'm like, why did I just sign an alliance that's going to guarantee I play these conference games, these like interconference games more if there's almost no upside other, you know? Yeah. So I think if, if we as college football fans want to see these like big matchup of Titans in a home field, not in these random, you know, as we say, neutral site 40 miles from the SEC <laughs> stadiums. Like if we want to see games at like actual team stadiums, like if you go get a win on the road, that has to have tons of value. Otherwise those will go away. So in that yeah. regard, I really do think that the committee has to give Oregon a serious shot if they went out to, to make this four. right now. Are they one of the best four teams? No, absolutely not. So. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're just talking about specifically Oregon's case, the other thing that has to be mentioned is the way in which they, yes, they lost to, a, you know, a middle of the road at best Stanford football team. Um, but the manner in which they lost with uh, an absolute, you know, phantom holding call. Um you know, I, I think, you know, I don't know that, I think the committee members are probably aware, um, but, you know, I think it, it does still sit there as a stain on your, on your record the whole season. It's just kind of crazy to think that, um, that that could be the difference between them making the playoff. I mean, we'll see, they still have to win a lot of games the rest of the way. Right. Um, Which is but, very, yeah. I was interested, Cody, to your point, I wanted to, I don't know if you were able to like listen or follow along, probably not, but during the Oregon game, I was surprised to hear um, Kirk Herbstreit, who's generally a pretty careful guy, he mentioned that. He goes, yeah, with the one loss, it was a really questionable loss to Stanford, which hmm. seems like a, a big risk for someone like Kirk Herbstreit to, to say. Yeah. You know, he's usually pretty, like, kind of... Vanilla. Yeah, in that way. He's not trying to be edgy. So I think it is something that's a known quantity, to your point. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, going back through your list, you, you had Georgia, Oklahoma, Michigan, Cincinnati, not in that order, not necessarily in that order. Is that right? I, yeah. I just, I read off the, the, I, I definitely think Georgia's won. What you want to oh, do yeah. with the last three undefeated teams is you know, whatever to me. Sure. Kind of. You know, I have three of those same four. And so, yeah, I think it's, it is the conundrum of who the best teams versus the most deserving. I think, you know, I, I, I would be until proven. Otherwise I have a hard time not seeing a Nick Saban coached Alabama team as one of the four best teams at this moment. They're probably not, 
one of the four most deserving teams just because of, uh, you know, you know, Texas A&M is now suddenly ranked again, but um, <laughs> they Not were un- they were unranked at the time. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's a, a bad loss for them, but, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much rooting for a group of five. I, I think if Cincinnati finishes the season, finishes the season undefeated uh, and, and does not make it in, um, you know, there should be, someone should be tarred and feathered. I mean, it's just, it's just not fair. I mean, they, they beat Notre Dame on the road. Mm-hmm. Like they did everything, you know, they have to play in, a, in their conference. You can't, <laughs> can't be excused from that. Um, and so I, I feel like they should be in, you know, they do have another, they still have to play SMU and undefeated SMU team. Mm-hmm. So we'll see about that. You know, the other thing is you look at this top 10, it's, it's very big 10 heavy, mm-hmm. right? So not, you've got Georgia and Alabama, Georgia and Alabama are kind of, you know, Ole Miss is hovering there somewhere, you know, down there, but presumably if Alabama wins out, that means Ole Miss doesn't even win their division. So they're not going to win, you know, they're not going to work, work their way back into the playoff. Uh, the big 10, you've got Michigan, Ohio state, Michigan state. Well, that's one thing. Uh, if I could interject real quick, I want to, sir, I sure, should say, I, I said Michigan, but in case there's any Sparty friends of the pod, we'll take some heat. <laughs> I should say that whoever the, the winner of that Michigan, Michigan state game this weekend probably slides into that. Yeah, that, un- that undefeated spot in the first week of the rankings. But the thing about, yeah, you've got, you know, four top 10 teams, three of whom are in the same division. Um, you know, I, you know, there's clearly only going to be in my mind, there's no way there's two big 10 teams because I, they're, they're just going to knock each other out over, the, you know, over the final five weeks of the season here. Iowa's looming and I, I don't really see Iowa winning the big 10, but they're in the other division and could, theoretically win it uh, or play the spoiler um but i just you know there's maybe one big 10 team i think you know for oregon you know the big levers are can oklahoma somehow paper mache this together like you know they've been on the verge of losing so many games they barely beat Tulane. Tulane was like escaping a hurricane had to go <laughs> suddenly play on the road in norman and still almost won that game um you know they've had several um you know obviously they they beat texas that's probably their best win um barely beat west virginia 16 13 have changed quarterbacks but still not i i I don't see how oklahoma runs the table honestly so you know there's there's room you know the the big 10 is gonna is gonna be a bloodbath over the final five weeks of the season plus the conference championship game but you here's know, a question for you. I want to ask you about a couple uh, scenario real quick here. Let's let's say, and this are big ifs. I realize we get to the end of the season, and there's there's one spot open, and it's it's twelve and one Ohio State and twelve and one Oregon. Is it is the is the head to head it or is it like oh wow Ohio State's gotten so much better and they they look like the better team? Like how, the way how I've heard this that? discussed is the. The the commission in the past has said if the records, if the you know performance performances are equal, then the head to head is a tiebreaker. But they would they would be evaluating their cumulative you know effort first. 
Now, it, I would say if you compare Oregon and Ohio State and what they've accomplished these, you know, over the course of the first seven, eight weeks of the season, I personally think there's a very strong case for Oregon. Uh, you know, you look at, you know, yes, Ohio State has been absolutely blowing the doors off teams, but but who have they been blowing the doors off of? Yeah, Maryland, Rutgers, Akron, like um, yes, they're scoring a ton of points. I mean, they're I was writing this, I wrote this down. I think the last five weeks, they've they've their cumulative score is something like oh, it's 200 and they've won their last five games by a combined score, 272 to 64. So yeah, the scoreboards look great, but they're not playing real teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I you know, however, as you said, uh, you know, you're implying that they're they run the table against three top. Uh, they'll have to play potentially three top ten teams down the stretch, while Oregon is going to be lucky to have one or two ranked, you know, opponents on you know in their cumulative schedule. When all is said and done, maybe they have, you know, a you know, maybe they beat a. 17th 18th ranked Oregon State to to finish the regular season and then maybe they have a top 20 top 25 team in the you know, opponent in the Pac-12 championship game but man it, I, I honestly this is a very long-winded answer so I apologize but I I personally think I would have to say Ohio State would have accomplished more if you believe that Michigan State Michigan and Iowa really are top 10 teams. And that's, that's the thing about the whole like rankings, you know, a win against X team. And it's like, who, who's to say, but I, I, that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of merit to that. So there's so much to the season to play, right? Every team's got five, six games left. Like you said, Ohio state has that in front of them. Um, Yeah. And there, I don't, you know, I don't think other (laughs) Georgia looks absolutely unbeatable. Uh, I would say Bama is still really good, and I really would be surprised if they lose another game until they played, you know, potentially Georgia in the SEC championship game. Which, you know, who's who knows? Um, other than those two teams, well, if that happens and Bama wins a close one, they're both in, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and so, but other than those two teams, you know, anyone else in this top ten, I could easily see winning, losing see them losing at least one game. Um, I think it's a stretch to maybe anticipate Ohio State losing more than one game, but they've, you know, they, like I said, they've got several top 10 opponents to play. So who, um, several of whom are undefeated at this moment. So like we're talking about, I would not be shocked at all to see like Oregon finish the season at like nine and three, you know, so like <laughs> this, could, this could easily be, be, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Oregon, you know, their remaining path, right? They've got um, they've got Colorado and UW. Those should be very winnable games. WSU should be winnable, you know, and then they finish with Utah and Oregon State, which might be, you know, at Utah just for that. At, at Utah yeah. in late November. Yeah. That could, that could be dicey. Tricycles is can be tough for people. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, like, maybe it's silly to speculate, but. I think they have a path. It's it's clearly requires them to win out, and uh, but I also think that there's 
lots of I, I don't think there's like a ton of highly unrealistic dominoes that have to fall their way either. Other there's than a, winning out. The, one of the challenges you're saying too, that it's, it's highly possible that even if they do it, they're playing an unranked team in the Pac-12 championship game, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think if the South prob- continues to beat each other, you know, like, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I personally, you know, I think, I think it, the Sun Devils or uh, Utes will probably have enough wins to be ranked by that time, but we'll see. Let's hope. Okay. Let's talk about this coming week, uh, yeah. and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, we got uh, the Washington State Cougars at Arizona State. Arizona State's favored by 15, 87% chance of the victory, according to ESPN. Do you have anything other than the Sun Devils rolling? Um, they're coming yeah, off so the buy as well. ASU is. You mentioned this earlier. I, I, there's there's some question about whether there's some turmoil uh, down in in Tempe with uh, you know defensive coordinator. Um, oh, why is his name escaping me? Help me out. The ASU defensive coordinator. P- is it Pierce? Uh, yeah, Pierce. Antonio Pierce had removed some stuff from his bio that was ASU related was thinking that maybe the shoe was starting to drop on some of the, hmm. some of the recruiting stuff that they have coming. Interesting. Um, I don't know if any of that came to fruition. Vegas obviously likes him with 16 points and you made the point earlier at some point, I think the turmoil from WSU is going to catch up with them. It, this looks like a really likely spot on the road against a better team. I, yeah. I think, I think ASU probably rolls. I think they'll be rested and ready. I think, I think it's ASU. Uh, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time predicting whether Oregon can get a home win against Colorado. I think that this might be close. How many to- points does Colorado score? <laughs> How many points does Colorado score on the road in Austin? It's hard to imagine them getting to even 17 without turnovers, right? It's hard I mean, to imagine them getting to seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just. <laughs> The thing about Oregon is, is they, they just come out flat at times and play to their opponents. I could see this being like a 31-10 game and Oregon does not cover the spread. I think it was 25 points is what I saw. I could see this 24 being like a 24-point spread. 24. Yeah. I could see this being like a 17-21 to 21 point victory playing a little closer than Vegas thinks so. Okay. All right. I, I think it's all ducks. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Colorado's uh, over under it eight and a half <laughs> points scored i'll take the over i'm giving them 10 <laughs> all right great you're a generous man uh okay oregon state beeves at cal kind of uh this is your this is your stinky line of the week nate beeves only favored by a point and a half at cal does that surprise yeah. you well you know, I think Ve- I think Vegas thinks Cal has a decent defense, run defense, and um, so if they can get some stops, if they can be in the right position, like we've talked about, and they can schematically take away some of Jonathan Smith's advantage in this in this offense, I actually think this could be a really close game. Um, I think the Beavers, well, <laughs> it's funny. We both just joked that Chase Garber's had the game of his life, right? If he brings that again, I think Cal could win this game. Otherwise, 
it feels like Oregon State makes more plays down the stretch and wins a close one. Is is Garbers potentially the better quarterback in this matchup? I don't know. Chance Nolan's just been he's had you know he had a nice game last week. Uh, uh, he's also had a couple real eggs. So in, in measurements, arm strength, it should be Garbers, but he he has the tendency to have some head scratchers. You know, like so. Yeah, we'll see. I could see you that got, being a close game. You got beeves. I got the beeves in a close one. Me too. Although uh, I do think they'll cover the one and a half. I don't think they win by one. <laughs> I I just I I trust Jonathan Smith at the at the helm right now. So uh Arizona at USC, SC's favored by 21, 93% chance of victory. Uh I think SC finally gets their second win in the Coliseum for the season. I think SC wins and covers. I think Arizona's down to that third string quarterback. I think SC can do enough to to have some quick possessions and then they have a lot on offense against a team like you know Arizona. I I could see this one getting ugly, like 31. You know. I I don't think they cover. I, I I as as mediocre and frustrating as SC's defense was last week against Notre Dame. I I, I Arizona has nah, that's overstating it. I just I like Barry Hill and I think he can make some plays and, and score some points and keep it, you know, help Arizona get on the scoreboard. But we'll see. Uh UCLA, I think maybe maybe this is the most interesting game of the week. UCLA so. at Utah. Utah favored by six and a half. Um, that seemed like a lot to me. That's a kind of the rice echoes factor, maybe like to your point. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, uh, I agree that it seems a little more certain than I would have anticipated. Um, you know, it's, I think the main main question is: Is DTR healthy? And, and you know, is he going to be able to be full go? Um, I like Utah in this one. The LA Times is is saying that they expect DTR to play. Um, okay. If he goes and he can actually run and he's healthy and he's effective, I like UCLA in this one. I mean, especially with the way the bees were able to run the ball last week. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Against Utah. Um, yeah. And Utah, we'll see if they're real. I mean, you know, Whittingham has had plenty of um, – late season tank jobs uh, in his time. So we'll see if they can kind of hang with them here. And I know you also like, like we talked about, this is a huge, this is a huge game for chip. That's what I was going to say. That's what I know you do weren't quiet on his board with me, but at some point chip is coaching for his job and you lose this one. It's going to start getting, it's going to, it's going to start getting toasty. It's going to start getting toasty. Unbutton another button on the, well, he doesn't wear, doesn't wear polos. He wears shirts. Maybe go okay, back we, to the full hat, the visor. But we both like we both like the youth, so we think it's gonna get start to get hot in Westwood. Huh? No, I like UCLA. Oh, I'm sorry, you have UCLA. I, I went on the other side. I went on the other side. Good. I'm glad we didn't. We weren't uniform. Uh, maybe another interesting game. Huskies at Stanford. Uh, I think, I think the Huskies have really you know struggled with Stanford over the last decade at times. Um. Two and a half point spread for Stanford favored uh, at home by two and a half. I'm kind of surprised it's that small. I would have thought seven, That's eight. So here's the stinky line factor. Like I immediately wanted to go Stanford in this game based on what I saw. <laughs> and then that line actually jumped out like, whoa, maybe Vegas knows something that 
uh, that we don't know. Like, I I would have thought Stanford by ten in this game. Really, I know Stanford is not great, but I mean Washington just looked terrible at Arizona. Couldn't get anything going. That's that that, that Arizona team with that third string QB. You know, like, yeah. But, you know, Stanford's had their own issues, right? So yeah, they've they've been. You know, Tim and I talked. You know, the past few weeks, like, kind of, they're one of the more Jekyll and Hyde programs, maybe the Jekyll and Hyde program. Uh, so USC was Jekyll and Hyde. Now they're just Hyde. But <laughs> well, I wonder uh, so, if, what do you think, you, Stanford? So here, let me set up one more thing. I think one thing that they're looking at here, we, you and I both mentioned that uh, the strength of Washington's defense is in the corners, the pass defense. Yeah. And, and I think that they're looking and seeing Stanford doesn't actually run the ball that well. And they want to Correct. throw it to the outside where yep. Washington's most effective. So I, I do think this matchup sets up well for, um, for Washington, but yeah, um, I'm going to, I'm going to take Stanford. I am as well. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's reductive. Uh, but for me, uh, you know, when I'm not really sure, I just kind of go with who I think the better quarterback is. And I, I trust Dan, uh, Tanner McKee to, to make some more plays. This is probably not a, a high scoring game. It's probably a 24, 21 type game, I think, but uh, I like Stanford as well. Do you have any non-conference games you want to talk about? I pick three, but I'm happy to defer to you. If you've got something new, something no, juicy. Let's, let's do your games. Okay. Uh, Number six, Michigan. This is, you know, as you discussed, uh, favored by four and a half at number eight, Michigan State. I think this is probably the heavyweight uh, fight of the week out of conference. Yeah, honestly, I'm going to take Michigan State. I think you go on the road in a big game, you need to be able to throw the ball a little bit more than than Michigan does. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that they're going to have the athletes to just line up and kind of out-athlete Michigan State in this game. And I, and I think schematically Michigan State is going to be a little bit more prepared in that regard. They're a little more balanced in that way. Yeah, they have a really good back, uh, a couple good wide receivers, a, a solid quarterback, whereas Michigan's very much been – I mean, they've Michigan has made some big plays. Um, I, in particular, uh, can recall some big plays that, you know, over the top they made against uh, Washington earlier in the season, but they are, you know – very much a, a, a Harbaugh, you know, ground-based team. And, yeah, I actually didn't make any notes on this, so I'm just shooting from the hip here. I'll, uh, just to be different, I'll, I'll go with Michigan, but I, I respect your pick, and I, I'm i already regretting picking Michigan. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, that'll, be, that'll be a fun one. Uh, SEC, number 10, Ole Miss. Uh, uh, at number 18, Auburn, Auburn's favored by two and a half. So Auburn can effectively end Old Miss's chances in the West, in the SEC West this weekend, if they uh, able to cover that or. I, I like Auburn in this game. I think they just got a, a few more horses. I kind of think Lane's a great coach. And so I think in that way, this has been a little bit of fool's gold that he's been able to ride a really talented QB to kind of cover up other issues to, to some wins. 
And I think they're going to just run into some more talent in, in, in Auburn playing on the road. I'm going to take Auburn in a close game. Awesome. I'll, I'll go with Ole Miss um, purely based on Matt Corral lighting it up, but I, I have nothing else uh, to justify my pick. Um, I, this is our tradition here is to be completely unprepared for non-conference <laughs> and just shoot from the hip. Uh, number 19 SMU at Houston. Both teams, Houston, I believe, is uh, has one loss. SMU undefeated. These are kind of both uh, American Athletic Conference contenders. To be honest, Cody, I haven't seen either team. I play. know <laughs> I've, I've seen neither of these teams play either. So I'm I'm purely going off the jersey. When in doubt, take the home team. I'll, I'll take the Cougars. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm going with Houston as well. Just having lived. Uh, down there and having some friends that are alums so all right put me on that's put me on put me on smu then just so we just so we can have some just to be different okay all right fair um yeah uh you know it should be some fun non-conference games you know the the window is tightening for um you know teams like this is obviously you know the ucla and utah or in a must, you know, each in kind of a must win scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Oregon is playing for their playoff life every week. So still, still lots going on. And, you know, you got, you know, Jimmy Lake ostensibly coaching for his job. Um, so, uh, you know, Justin Wilcox, uh, you know, against the bees probably is coaching for his job every week. So kind of a little think- something in almost every game this week, even though, you know, maybe they don't all have conference title implications. I kind of think this is a huge game for Oregon state. The, the kind of one that shows you like, are they for real as like a top of the conference team this year, or are they just the beefs? You know, like yeah. if they, if they yeah. lose this game, this is just another year being the beefs. It feels like it. So this, I, I think this is a huge game for them. For sure. Yeah. We'll see what happens. All right, man. It's been super fun. I look forward to uh, seeing what goes on this weekend and chat with you again soon. Till, till next time. Pac-12 football. This has been Best Coast Football. Thanks for listening.